Martha Van Houten, and each week I'm here with Brian Buck, lead pastor at Oaks Parish, to go a little deeper into Sunday sermon and to keep the conversation going throughout the week as we journey together in learning what it means to abide in Christ for the renewal of all things. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Oaks Parish Podcast. Brian and I are here with another special guest this week. And before we reveal who it is, I just have to say that yesterday's sermon, the second in our Cheerful Giving series, was so poignant. I'm sure I'm not alone in this incredible wonder at the connection between our creation and our DNA and both the push and the pull that we feel toward generosity. Because we are created in the image of God, it stands to reason that we feel a pull toward generosity, toward loving and giving of ourselves. And because the origin of our sin is really covetousness, we push against that natural inclination with the desire to hold back, to take for ourselves, to have it all. And so our fear and anxiety, our desire for more, our beliefs, and even things as practical as our budgeting or our lack of planning can challenge us living into our true identity as image bearers. But what a blessing that the righteousness of Jesus, the security of belonging to God, helps us to see ourselves as we truly were made to be, generous, sacrificial, and self-giving. So we get to talk about that more in depth today and hear some incredible and challenging stories as we continue to wade into these deep waters of generosity, really growing in to the likeness of our generous God. So Brian, will you introduce today's special guest? Well, today we are privileged to have Karen Howells, our Director of Women's Formation here at Oaks, joining us on the podcast. Karen and her husband, Rob, are native Portlanders, have been married for 46 years and parents to two children. In 1988, Karen founded the Howells Group out of a deep desire to help people flourish in their life and work. In her coaching and consulting work, Karen and her team have coached trained and developed people here in the United States, Canada, Asia, Europe, and Israel. In addition to leading a successful company, Karen has been active in local church leadership and served on the board of three Christian nonprofits, including the Bible Project, Barnabas Landing, and Four Word, a ministry for professional women living out their faith in the workplace. In 2014, Karen received her master's from Western Seminary with a degree in spiritual formation with a particular focus on leadership, development, and coaching. As you might imagine, Karen has spent years managing money in her own business and equipped people pulling financial levers all over the corporate world. So we're delighted to have you with us today to continue our conversation around our spiritual relationship with money. Thanks for being with us, Karen. Thanks for inviting me, Brian. Yeah, welcome, Karen. Just from getting to know you and getting to work with you, I know that you'll be sharing so much wisdom and helpful challenges for us. So just to begin, this week, we continue to see that our relationship with money has deep roots in our story. And last week, Steve and Brian and I all shared a few snippets here and there about some of the challenges or hangups that we have when it comes to money or to generosity because of our stories, our families of origin, our experiences, and so on. So as you reflect on your own story, Karen, How would you describe your own relationship with money? Well, thanks, Martha. I think that's a critical question for us to think about. 
my story has been one with lots of twists and turns. Um, I think a lot of our story, we uh, unconsciously, subconsciously adopt from our parents. Um, and my, my family's was pretty forward. Because of their story, my dad felt there was never enough and that he was never enough. Um, they were raised with a lot of anxiety because their families went both through the depression and the dust bowl. And in the in their parents, both of my parents' families lost everything and had to move out with a trailer, which included their kids and a few possessions uh, from Nebraska and start all over in their mid 40s. So they knew what it was like to have a lot of insecurity. Um, and my dad's family was pretty much near poverty. And so I resented that story. I had compassion for it, but I resented always hearing, we can't afford that. We don't have enough. Don't want anything. <laughs> and I wanted to have a different story. So I consciously uh, kind of rebelled. I wanted to figure out how I could have my kids hear something different. And that fueled some ambition in me. So my story started with, I'm going to have more than enough. And then I came to Christ at 20 and that was modified a little bit, but it's been a long journey. Karen, you've been married to your husband, Rob, now for 46 years. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. But what are some lessons that you've learned together along the way that might be helpful to us all? Uh, well, first of all, we had tremendous generosity that surrounded us in our first church, and it helped us to both address our story around money. So I think as a couple, you know, you need to come together and understand what's underlying. I think back then in the premarital counseling, they didn't do that very much because we just don't talk about money in this culture, even though we know that that's the primary cause of divorce mm. or money issues. Um, so as we saw generosity all around us um, in this first church we were a part of, it really was being taught and caught, though I don't know that all the other couples were aware of that. One thing I remember in particular uh, during the time I was in vocational uh, music ministry in the narthex of, of our church, um, a woman that I knew came up to me. I didn't know her that well. And we were really tight during that time. It was our anniversary and we didn't have, you know, we were counting every dollar. Um, and she pressed several $100 bills in my hand and she said, um, she said, God told me to give you this. I'm not sure why. And the only thing I ask is that you, when you can do the same, that you, that you do it and obey God, man, I get goosebumps, you know, like just remembering <laughs> that because that, that was a lot of money then. I mean, we were making, oh, you know, maybe like a thousand dollars a month for two of us. Um, so she didn't know it was our anniversary that that Rob needed shoes. We couldn't even go out to eat. And I've I've never forgotten that. And I've told that story many times. And a couple of years ago, I was able to take her to lunch and tell her how that impacted me. She didn't know that. She was just being obedient. I think we really learned through a lot of 
mm, disc, what do I want to say? A strong discussion that we needed to be unified in mm. what we valued. And we wrote values and we wrote, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have? And I still have that three column paper. I remember doing it after we were newly married and um, we didn't have, we had generosity there, but we hadn't defined it. Mm. Um, but Rob, drew, he grew up with a different story than I did. He grew up, their family story was what we have, we share, no matter how much or how little. So we did begin to tithe early in our marriage. And that was really scary for me at first. But even in that first year, we could see the benefits, especially the change in our hearts about giving. And then this rhythm and habit of writing that check first. Oh, man, sometimes that was hard, but it got easier because that was our habit. And, and that created more of a, an alignment for us as a young couple that this is God's money. Yes, we're working and earning it, but he's being generous to us that we can earn it and that we had good jobs and that we had the ability to work. So that alignment has grown over the years, but it was important early on to be together, to be one around how we saw money. Yeah, Karen, thank you for sharing that really practical practice, I guess, where you sat down and will you repeat what those three things were? Three. Who do I want to be? And then we wrote 5, 10, 15, 25 years. We yeah. never got beyond 25. I don't know if we thought we were going to be <laughs> alive that long, but uh, here we are. And yeah, 40, 47. <laughs> um, so the B came first, the do and then the have, because we saw it kind of in that order. We also learned, and I just thought about this today, that taking risks and trusting God could be expanding for ourselves and our faith and kingdom expanding mm. because it's not just greed that messes us up with money. It's also fear. And that was, you know, my dad's um, stumbling block. And, and I understand why he struggled with that. So we took a risk when I was, you know, singing and doing music ministry for about five years. It was tough financially but spiritually had had great ROI, return on investment, because we grew so much because we had to trust God for everything. And then in 1988, after we had our second child, we had an almost two-year-old and then boy, and then Rachel, our daughter, we decided together that I was going to start my own company doing what I had been doing for one organization because that would allow me to contribute financially, but give more flexibility for me as a mom. And Rob was traveling at that time. So it didn't make sense for me to stay in a job where I had to be there every day. And um, it was a risk, you know, the business grew slowly over time. I think my first whole year, I was remembering back, I made like $4,000 for a whole year. <laughs> so it required some sacrifice but ultimately, ultimately, it's enabled us to share our faith because sometimes Rob has been able to travel with me back when we were doing, you know, development more live. 
uh, on the business. It helped us to be more generous. It helped us to have some times away with our kids and to invest. Uh, we started that way too late. But um, I think risk is is sometimes what God wants us to do. And we learn from that. Karen, one of the things that's coming into view as you're describing all of that is the nature of discipleship. And from the time that we're born up until the time about age 18, those are really formative years for discipleship. That's when the concrete is poured and it kind of sets up and dries by the time we reach around age 18. And I think about those preconceptions, um, what we grew up with in our family lore around the nature of money and our relationship with money and how different that can be for different people. And then the reality is because we're so private and sometimes so quiet here in the West about our relationship with money, then when people, for example, uh, move into adulthood, uh, they do things like get married and they're having to work with someone else. It's like there can be so much unspoken and unknown about our relationship with money, especially as like two people are coming together to live a life together. Yeah. So one of the, there's two things that I really appreciate about what you just said. One is that it requires intentional conversation that we need to be intentional and we need to literally be on the same page of an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> about, <laughs> about what's going on here. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, you know, sometimes even in the face of what we've what we've heard in our story, um, we need to be bold. We need to take risks. We need to live with a trusting faith in our finances. Yeah. And I will just say, um, though I worked hard and I have had great team, it's really glory to God, how much the business has grown. And what I want to say about that is just when Rob, right at the time our kids were going to college, Rob was invited to be a development director for a nonprofit. So he went from Intel to a private Christian school. And that was not a leap forward in income, but it was during that time as we said, okay, God, this is a high, you know, high money requirement time with, with college. That was when my business really just started booming it was so wow. it was so providential <laughs> so i can't i don't take credit for that for sure <laughs> at all and we you know regarding um what you said about getting on the same page i i had in my notes here that talking honestly sometimes with a third party is necessary i had some pretty deep wounds in fact rob to this day never asked me how much did that cost because he knows every time I got home as a young woman, as a little girl, that was the first thing my dad asked me. He knows there's wounds there and he won't do it. And so we learned to understand where those wounds were and not trigger each other. Um, and that took some help. So I just don't think we need to be ashamed of that. I think it's a smart thing to do to get some assistance. Yeah, that's so helpful. Um, you, as Brian mentioned in the introduction, you have served 
on the board of at least two missional organizations, Barnabas Landing being one of them, which I understand to be a beautiful setting up in British Columbia that hosts retreats and just provides this nurturing hospitality to individuals and families. And then also you're on the board of Bible Project, which is local to Portland and uses incredible storytelling mediums to help people experience scripture as this unified story of God. These are places that are absolutely pursuing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So from from your perspective of serving on these boards, can you tell us more about how you've seen God manifest his kingdom through generosity? Sure. And on that note, I'm trying to figure out how to get you and Jeff and your little boy, Leo, there. <laughs> <laughs> to Barnabas. Yes. I would love that. Yeah. I want everyone I love to come. Um, well, we were invited um, almost 30 years ago to take our two um, young children there. And we experienced some healing in our marriage and incredible guidance and, and mentoring spiritually. Um, and we met more people who gave their of their God-given resources lavishly. I remember one auction we went to and it was like a game. Uh, it was for fundraising for the ministry. Um, they just kept, <laughs> they just kept bidding and outbidding. And by the time we got to the end of it, um, the winning bid was fifty thousand um, dollars. It was a week's vacation somewhere that somebody had given, and it it the bidding was just fun. But the but the point was everyone was so joyful when we would over and over see the ministry meet its goals because they were generous uh, as a ministry. And then those they attracted um, wanted to give. And that's not just money, but generous with their time and talents. We were able to build a beautiful new building to expand um, our programs and reach out into the community to do corporate retreats. And $9 million was raised. There was a little bit of foundation money in that, but most of it was individual givers. Little kids would give part of their allowance. And it was a shared joint generosity uh, project. So that's really influenced us. Another neat story is as um, the business grew and, you know, our kids um, were we're in college and things were going well. We we identified somebody that we knew really needed to go to Barnabas that, that they couldn't afford it um, on a on a on their certain salary. So we just arranged to do a scholarship, but they didn't know. And uh, so they went, and it was life changing for them. Mm-hmm. And this is how the kingdom works. It's it's like. Not only was it life-changing, but now they're bringing friends, they're giving of their time. I think the the wife probably donates her time, oh gosh, three or four weeks a year to cook in the kitchen. And that's, it's really a big kitchen and big crowds. We're talking hundreds of people, right? Um, But there's such a return on investment, just that little amount, really, if you think about it over our life that we, that we knew we were supposed to give. Now their families are coming. They have brought uh, exchange students from Germany. 
who have been exposed. So it's just amazing to see what God will do with our widow's might or our dollar or whatever it is. Uh, I've been to Barnabas myself there on <clears throat> Keats Island up in British Columbia. Uh, absolutely stunning views, uh, beautiful part of the world. Uh, how I reflect on that and, and just being there at Barnabas, there are so there are probably hundreds of stories of generosity uh, at Barnabas. Um, I've met Johnny, who was the longtime director there, and just the stories that yeah. he tells about God's provision and people's generosity uh, by God's grace to Barnabas. It's it's astonishing. And it kind of reminds me of, of how um, Einstein revolutionized our understanding of physics, that you know, mass in the universe, it kind of, it kind of warps uh, time and space toward itself. Mm. And Keats Island at Barnabas Landing is one of those places where it is just such a holy and sacred place. And so much of God's kingdom has trafficked there. Mm -hmm. And so much money has been used for good there. It, it, it's, a, it's a place that shapes the world in a different way. And I just love that. Yeah. They've just started a new camp for families that have adopted children. And many times those children have special needs and they're responding to some uh, newer needs that we're seeing in our culture. So you're absolutely right, Brian. And it's infectious when you're around generosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you shared about that shared joint generosity from like the youngest to the oldest giving yeah. whatever you have and it just makes me think about teaching our young children about generosity about giving their pennies whatever it is you know just that outpouring from their heart of wanting to share with others yeah absolutely martha and it's it's the heart the heart is is the heart of generosity it's what yeah that they want to give and they know that they can be part of something much bigger. And I was, I was thinking about this survey that the American um, psychology association did. Um, it, it was secular. And of course they had to spend millions of dollars for what scripture already tells us, but they found out there were four levels of happiness. The first one is pleasure, you know, that great dinner, um, maybe going to the beach and enjoying the sun <laughs> when it's, when it's actually sunny at the Oregon coast. Um, but that that's very brief. And then the second level is achievement, which is, isn't that so American? It's all about pleasure and achievement. Um, that's getting, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, getting your master's degree after, you know, going part-time and finally nailing it or getting that promotion or maybe a bigger house that you needed for your family. Those are all good things, but it, that joy only lasts so long. And then we begin to want more, particularly in this culture. But the third and fourth um, levels of happiness are um, number three is using your gifts and skills in a way that contributes to others. And the fourth one is practicing the transcendent virtues across all religions and cultures regularly. So love, forgiveness, kindness, and generosity. So even a secular study brings out the fact that we are wired to be givers because that's how God made us, which really relates to what Brian said in his sermon last Sunday. 
Yeah, absolutely. And how often we maybe kind of settle for those lower, that lower hanging fruit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) pleasure and achievement, and we're longing for more. And it is within our grasp. It's, it's remembering our DNA. Yeah. Well said. Anything you want to share from the Bible project, Karen? Oh my gosh, I could talk for an hour on that. Um, I've been involved on with a, in a board role for about three years now, and it's, they are the most authentic organization uh, about living their values. And um, they decided early on that one of their values was going to be generosity. And they worked with an organization called Generous Giving, and they decided they were going to give everything away and trust God with how to fund that. And um, they believe that because we serve an extravagantly generous God who gave his only son and gives us everything we need to live, that they um, were going to also um, have this throughout all of their policies and how they conducted themselves. And they follow through in it. They call their audience members, they call them patrons, um, they have, uh, they write hundreds of thank you notes every week, handwritten for those who give. And I think a recent thing I was telling Brian about is at a recent board meeting, the the COO, the operating officer gave a report on a salary study they'd done. And it showed that all the women were entering lower at a lower rate than the men were and that they weren't catching up. So you have two people, let's say they're in um a developer, a programmer, because of course they're a digital organization. The women were always below and they began to do some research. And what they found is that women just don't catch up. And so they made, they, they presented to the board that they wanted to adjust women's pay when they came in so that it would be more equal and, um, and that there was equity there. I have to tell you, I have never in my 45 years in business, I have never sat in a meeting where any organization wanted to correct what really wasn't their fault, if you know what I mean, but they saw it as wrong. So just a lot of integrity around practicing generosity. Um, I know frequently the CEO will get a call from someone who's listened a couple times and said, I believe in what you're doing. Would $500,000 make a difference? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and he's just as shocked as, as, as you were, Brian, at that moment. And, and, and I, as I was, there's just, just people who, um, obviously most of us are not in a position to do that, but he was, he just sold his company and, and he resonated to what they were doing. So, I, I feel so um, privileged to have had the opportunity to be a part of this and to see how God wants us to think and how to um, steward all our resources. Karen, that just makes me reflect on the spiritual reality of our city. And when you think about biblical literacy and generosity, those are some of the most deep and profound things that we need to understand uh, to follow Jesus. And the city of Portland is leading the way on that. Um, So it's just amazing that we get to live in this city and be a part of, of God shaping the world in these ways. 
Well, Karen, at various points in my sermon yesterday, I quoted the work of Kim King, author of When Women Give. Uh, King served as an attorney and manager in the law department of ExxonMobil for over 30 years and now leads an organization called Women Doing Well, which exists to see women discover their own God-designed purpose, passion, and plan to impact the world through generosity. Her organization has found that 51% of the wealth in the United States is controlled by women, yet of 7,000 Christian women surveyed, only 6% feel confident or equipped in their giving life. Having coached thousands of women in executive leadership, what are some particular things that women need to know about their relationship with money and generosity? Hmm. That's such a big question. That could be a whole podcast, right? (laughs) Certainly. It's a good one. Um, I guess as I thought about this, you know, money is gender neutral. It's just a tool. But I think there's a lot of um, gendered responses to it, even for women themselves. It's almost like, oh, I'm not supposed to know about that. It isn't feminine, maybe more for Christians than for others. When actually it's a tool God gives us, like our talents, um, our our um, abilities um, to invest. And it's a gift from God um, and the fruit of our labor. So I think we, it's like everything, your mindset, your mindset sets the course for your actions. So I think we have to have a correct theology around money. And just like we were talking about earlier, most of us are driven um, by our stories. Uh, that come from our families. I think becoming financially literate, and that doesn't mean you have to become an expert in investments. Um, That is a path for some women. And I know a lot of women are being recruited uh, into that field right now. Um, But just understanding how interest rates work and what is is good debt versus what is bad debt. Um, and, and also considering if you're a married woman, that having a partnership and what you do with your resources makes you more powerful. There's more shared energy around it. We've noticed that with couples that are generous with their lives, when they both align on the path they're going, it is more powerful. And I think that also builds, um, a sense of partnership and intimacy when you're when you're seeing the fruits of your labor and God's gifts make a contribution. Again, that you know the Bible knows it brings us joy and it brings us together. Um, and for many women who will at some point be single, or maybe stay single, maybe they maybe they don't really want to be, but that's the way their life trajectory seems to be going. Um, it's important to know the basics um, and and to get some help. As I said before, none of us just automatically know what to do about money because, again, often our parents didn't talk together with us in an educational way. And we're kind of left to be influenced by the world. And the world's message is ultimately unsatisfying and does not cause our flourishing. Karen, we have one last question, which was submitted from our community, and I'd love for you to share your insight here. Last week, we touched on the guilt or the shame that people can feel sort of 
when when they think they've made financial mistakes or they find themselves in lots of debt. But this question is asking about the flip side of that. When people experience guilt at having enough or maybe doing well financially while so many others are struggling, why do you think sometimes it's so difficult to receive what we have simply as a gift from God's hand? Well, you know, I think some of us we stuck into that and that comparison mode. I don't know who said it, but um, I remember someone once said that comparing yourself to others does violence to your soul. And that can be both ways. That can be me saying, oh, well, I make more money than you do. I'm comparing um, or you make more money than me, I'm comparing. I think it's really important to just honor that God has chosen um, chosen to bless you in that way. And there may be other things um, that you have had to go to go through that other people don't see. And it's really not our business anyway, if someone makes less or more other than being sensitive to their needs. Um, I think also it's about identity. I think we use money too much as a piece of our identity. And I have been guilty of that. When things were going well, I would feel better about myself just financially. And if they weren't, I would not feel as good about myself. And money is a blessing and a gift and a tool. It's not a measure of who I am. And that really, really lines up, I think, you know, with what God tells us. And it's easy to forget that when we live in this culture. Um, we're just, it's just comparison. I, I heard recently, uh, and this was in Greg Balmer's book, God and Money, which I'd recommend. Uh, Brian has a great reading list that he's pulled together and that book's on it. Um, he, he said there was a study that when people make a certain amount this was in 2016 and i think the salary amount total household income was 150 um they te tends to be not as good often for the family because they'll upscale their lifestyle and this is not true of everyone but this is from the general population and they'll be around people who have more as opposed to some who have more and some are have less and it creates a sense of comparison. And so they get kind of stuck in that. I don't have as much or I have more so I'm better or I have more so I feel guilty. So I think comparison's really, really tricky and kind of does a number on us. And I think it's not, how do I need more? Or how much do I have? But what is God calling me to do with what I have? Karen, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head there when you spoke about identity. It reminds me what uh, Gregory Balmer, who you just quoted, uh, and John Cortine says in another book of theirs, True Riches. He asked that question that I included in the sermon yesterday. What is deeply within my heart underneath my finan financial behaviors? Yes. And, I and I think to your point, uh, wealth has become a sense or a standard of righteousness in our culture. And therefore, when we feel like that we don't measure up, or maybe we have too much, um, because that's our identity. Um, 
instead of Jesus, it becomes one way or another a source of shame versus merely looking at money as this inanimate <laughs> object, this tool that can be used in a lot of different ways. And to your point, the question is, what is God calling me to do with the, the talents that he's given? Yeah. And I think people forget that for Christians who, for whatever reason, have a large net worth, it is a responsibility and it can be um, a complexity for them. Um, mm -hmm. We have a friend who just sold his business and it was a very successful sale. It was acquired by a much larger company. And in talking with he and his wife, they don't talk about it a lot, but we know them well. And they're like, we just want to make sure we do the right thing. Cause this is, God has been so generous to us. It's like a heavy responsibility. And uh, in some ways I'm glad I haven't been gifted with that. Right. Do you give it all? Do you give part of it? Who do you give it to? You know, the needs are never ending. So again, yeah. What do we do with what we've been called to, um, and what do we do with money? I'm sure glad we're talking about this in our church, Brian. I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, it can certainly be a weight in pursuant to our guest last week, Steve Gray. People have a whole vocational calling, helping people manage the stress and complexity of wealth. Absolutely. And and I one of my clients is uh, the CEO of a wealth management firm, and she talks about it even the family problems that can ensue um, when a large windfall comes. And, you know, we all think we'd like to win the lottery, but the stats aren't good on that. I'm sure you've read about <laughs> that, the people listening. Yeah, it, it doesn't make people happier. So gratitude is, is key, right? Mm. I, I, when I hear people say, I am so grateful for what we have or what God's done, you know, that's, that's the heart inclination I, I, I want to have. And I'm continuing on that journey. And I think gratitude is that signal to us that our identity is resting in Jesus and not wealth. Yeah. I mean, honestly, with all that we went through, my cancer, my son's hospitalization and complications with his cystic fibrosis, um, and then he died when you lose a child. Uh, I think it's something like 89% of couples get divorced. Rob and I just feel like we should be, you know, according to the stats of what we've been through, we should be bankrupt and divorced. Mm. So we just recognize now that we're just, you know, moving into more of a, a retirement stage in our life, um, that we're not stopping contributing you know, where you're not making money anymore. We just feel so grateful that God has been so good that that has not happened to us uh, because a financial um, uh, debt from medical bills is the main reason for bankruptcy in the United States. It's not, it's not really poor management, money management. If a family or a couple have huge medical bills that can really sink you. So we are very grateful. Yeah, that's a beautiful testimony, Karen, just to God's work in your life and your awareness of it. This has been an incredibly rich discussion. I think we could continue talking for hours with dozens of follow-up questions. 
But for now, there's so much for us to keep chewing on and insights to challenge us in our own stories and circumstances for the ways that generosity can become a more natural inclination for us as it is for God. So thank you, Karen, for taking your time and for sharing so openly. You're welcome. Thank you, Martha and and Brian for inviting me. It was good to think on these things. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And for our listeners, if this has sparked more questions or wonderings, please send those our way. We have two more weeks in the cheerful giving series where we will continue to unpack what it means to be stewards of the gifts God has given us in his generosity. You can submit your questions via Instagram or email links to do so are in the show notes. And I just want to end us today with the prayer that we've been praying over our offering during this series. It's really a prayer for generosity. So I invite you to just listen, to pray along with me in your hearts as I close. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. 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 